Chapter 17 of For Treasure Bound. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. For Treasure Bound by Harry Collingwood. Chapter 17 Important News. The next day I was in a raging delirium and for nearly a week did I remain utterly unconscious of all that surrounded me, entirely engrossing the attention of my companions and taxing their energies and ingenuity to the utmost to prevent my leaping out of the cot or doing myself some injury in the unnatural strength and violence of the fever which burned within me. At length their unremitting care and watchfulness were rewarded by seeing me fall into a deep sleep in which I remained all night and until the next morning was far advanced, and when I awoke, reason had resumed her sway. I knew them both, and could answer their affectionate inquiries by a faint pressure of the hand or a feeble whisper, but beyond this I had no power to go. Ella, poor child, looked terribly pale and careworn, as well she might, for I afterwards learned that during the whole of that fearful time she had never once laid down to rest, such sleep as she had been able to obtain being snatched at uncertain intervals in a chair by the side of my cot. Bob had, of course, insisted sturdily and stubbornly on performing his full share of the watching, but even so, poor Ella's strength must have been terribly taxed. For nine days did I thus lie hovering between life and death. At length, however, the assiduous care and ceaseless attention which were bestowed upon me had their effect, and I began to rally, and the turning point once passed, I soon mended rapidly. The moment that my recovery seemed at all probable, Bob got the tents rigged up ashore again, and one fine morning when I appeared a little stronger than usual and seemed able to bear the removal, I was transferred to the boat and thence to the shore, where my own hammock, carefully slung and provided with clean linen, awaited me. The change from the confinement of the small cabin to the tent, the fresh and balmy air scent laden from the adjacent groves, and above all the view from the open end of the tent of the clear sparkling water gently ruffled by the passing breeze with the tree-crowned sun-lighted cliffs on either side, did more for me than the most skilful doctor or the most potent drugs could have effected, and I felt that I was drawing in new life with every inhalation. Bob, too, was indefatigable in his exertions in my behalf, now ranging the woods with his air-gun in search of a species of pigeon which he had discovered, anon going away in the canoe, in which Ella had escaped and which he had contrived to retain, to the rocks, and bringing in sundry delicately flavored fish, and then off to the woods again for fruit, of which the island afforded any quantity of various kinds. At length the day arrived when I was considered strong enough to listen to Bob's story, and be made acquainted with all that had occurred since the disastrous afternoon of our walk on the south side of the island. "'You must know,' he began, "'that as soon as I left you and your precious little dearie here ashore, I went straight away back to the channel, and anchored the craft in a bit of a nook in the first reach, where I thought as I should find some sport. Well, I didn't get so much as a nibble, and at last, whether it was the heat of the sun or what it was, I can't tell you, I dropped clean off to sleep. How long I slept I can't say, but I was woke up by the tug-tugging of the line, which I'd made fast with two or three turns round my finger. I started to haul in, and had got my fish very nigh out of water when he broke away and I lost him. I was just baiting my hook afresh when I thought I heard your rifle and I fancied I'd overstayed my time, and that she was firing a signal to join company. So I rouses up my killick and makes sail, 
and whilst I was doing it, I hears two reports, one close upon the other. I guessed at once that something was amiss, so I crowds all sail upon the craft and steers as straight as she would go for the point. Whilst I was running down towards it, I fancied I heard a shout, though I couldn't be sure, but you may depend upon it, I was pretty now anxious to get round the point and see where you was and what was going on. As soon as I cleared it, I sees you and Deary hurrying towards the beach as though something was amiss, but what it was I couldn't at first make out, until I'd seen the blackies jump out of the bushes, and then I knowed at once what a regular fix you was in. I'd seen you fire at him, lad, and bring him up with a round turn, and my fingers was just all of a itch to be alongside of you with one of them same revolving rifles in my fist, though I'm after all no great matter of a shot. Well, I'd seed you run, and I'd seed the little lady here step into the canoe and lie down, and then in course I knowed what she was after, so I shapes a course accordin'. You knows what followed, lad, but you don't know, and I can't tell you what I felt when I saw you struck down, almost within reach of my arm, and dragged away by them incarnate devils. It seemed to me as though every mother's son of them was fighting for the first blow at you, and I gave you fairly up for lost, certain. But there weren't much time for thinking, for some of them started to launch their canoes at once and chase a deary here, and I only had just time to shear alongside and take the craft in tow when they was afloat and after us. I stood away to the southward, hardly knowing what I was doing, and soon ran away from him hand over hand. I was getting little miss out of the canoe into the boat the best way I could, for she'd fainted, when the idea comes into my old head that if I could but entice the whole lot of them to chase me, I might lead them far enough to wait to give them the slip and run back and get your body, for I'd never doubted but she was dead. So I goes forward and lets run the main halyards, and down comes the sail, accidental-like. The niggers gives a shout as soon as they sees this, and I hauls my wind as though I couldn't go no forward to leeward without my mainsail, and sure enough the trick answered to perfection, for the whole posse of them comes scurrying down to the beach, launches their canoes, and shoves off, paddling like mad to the southard to cut me off. All right, my hearties, go it, says I. But, says I, you haven't the pleasure of knowing a certain Robert Trunyon, says I, if you supposes as you're going to circumvent in that way. So I lets them come well up with me, and the nearer they got, the louder they yells, and the harder they paddles. And you might have thought by the row that all hell had broken loose, as perhaps it had, or them devils wouldn't have been there. Well, I'd got the main halyards led aft to where I was sitting, and as they closed, I gently sways the sail up a few inches at a time, and keeps gradually away, till we was all spinning dead away to the southward, and they paddling like fury, and I just keeping far enough ahead to be out of range of their harriers. We'd run, I suppose, a matter of four knots when I sees that the reef sinks lower and lower below the water, and by the time we had gone another couple of miles, there was unbroken water all over it. So I edges easily away to the western, they following, till we'd got an offing of about four miles from the shore, and there was the tidiest jump of a sea for him to paddle again, though I knowed twould make no matter of difference to the boat, and then I gives the tiller to the little lady who'd come round again, goes forward and heists the sail full up, and then hauls sharp up and goes about, keeping straight away for the bay again as I dared for the reef. The devil set up another yell at this, and round they goes like tops, heading about east to cut me off. But I soon seed as they was pretty well done up, for I'd kept them paddling all they knowed in the hopes of coming up with me, and I felt satisfied as I'd be able to get back in time to get your body and be off again before they could overhaul me. Well, you knows that part of the story, too, so it needs no telling. Directly you was in your cot, I rouses the gun out of the cutter into the boat, takes a goodish lot of cartridges, shot and shell with me, and out I goes again, falling in with the rascals just off the northwestern end of the cliffs. They was hugging the shore pretty close, and I was dreadful afraid as they knowed the cove and was bound in there. 
So as I loaded the gun afore starting, I just gives him a shell, right into the thick of him, and that seemed to sicken him all at once, for they ups helm and away they go faster even than they'd come, and I after him. The first thing I did was to get between them and the land, and as soon as they'd seen it there were no chance of getting the shore and taken to their cursed woods again, away they all go was helter-skelter for our passage, and directly they was fairly in it. I heaves the boat too, loads the gun again, and after em once more, for I was determined that I'd drive em fairly out to sea, and then blow em all to hell where they come from, and, to make a long story short, that's just what I did, lad, bearing down upon a canoe until I couldn't miss her, and then plumping a shell into her at one end and out the other. I tarred the whole lot with the same brush, except one little craft with only four hands in her, and she I chased clean out to sea altogether, giving em a shot close past em as a freshener of their energies just as I hauled my wind. And if ever they gets back to their own country, wherever it is, I'll bet my life they'll never be for coming to this here island again. Such was Bob's story, and such the end of the adventure, for though we remained at the island nearly seven weeks, we never saw any further signs of savages. In about a month from the date of the adventure, I had so far recovered as to be able to hobble about a little, a few yards only at a time, and then I began to regain strength rapidly. By the end of the following week I was able, with the assistance of Bob's strong arm, to get as far as the cascade every morning and take a bath, and this too helped me on wonderfully towards entire convalescence. My wounds had closed, and were by this time so far scarred over that I was able to dispense with all dressing and bandages, and we began to talk about making another start, finally arranging to do so as soon as the new moon attained her first quarter, which would be in another fortnight. It was, I believe, on the Sunday following this arrangement that Bob set off the first thing after breakfast to attempt an ascent of the mountain, he having discovered, as he believed, a spot at which an active man with good nerves might surmount the natural impediments which existed near the base. I cautioned him to be very careful for our sakes as well as his own, for I was still too weak to afford him any very effectual assistance in the event of a mishap and a broken limb halfway up the mountainside would have been death to him just at that time. Ella and I were, of course, society for each other, and we wandered about the lawn-like ravine and reposed at frequent intervals beneath the grateful shade of the trees, in blissful oblivion of the passage of time, waiting quite contentedly until Master Bob chose to rejoin us, which he faithfully promised he would in time for dinner. At length, however, the position of the sun in the western heavens warned us that the hour named was long past, and I proposed a walk as far as the head of the ravine, hoping to meet the truant returning. We walked slowly, my strength not yet being sufficient to permit a very active exertion, and by the time that we reached the point aimed at, the entire landscape was flooded in the lovely pinky-purplish haze which immediately precedes sunset. Still no Bob made his appearance, and I began to grow seriously alarmed. We waited another half-hour, and then— just as the sun was about to disappear in the purple western wave, and we had made up our minds to return to the cutter, thinking he might possibly have passed down the ravine on its opposite side, he made his appearance. To my surprise he seemed singularly uncommunicative, and we could get but little out of him beyond the fact that he had with very great difficulty reached the summit, and found my conjecture as to its being an extinct crater correct. He thawed a little during dinner, and volunteered the information that he had seen land far away on the southern board, nearly or quite a hundred miles distant, he supposed, 
and had seen the loom of the land to the westward or about west-northwest and also to the northward he was of opinion he said that our late enemies had come from the land seen to the southward and were bound north touching at our island on their way on some marauding excursion as he had been able completely to sweep the island in every direction from the commanding elevation of the mountain top and had detected no sign whatever of niggers in any direction with this he dropped the subject and adverted to my condition questioning me solicitously unusually so i fancied as to how i felt the extent of my strength where we had been and what we had seen he was particularly curious on this latter point and asked the same question so repeatedly that ella made some laughing remark i forget what upon it and he carefully avoided any further repetition of it for the remainder of the evening at least as long as ella was with us when at length she retired to her own tent for the night however he became more communicative i was already undressed and in my hammock and he was sitting smoking beside me and after a silence of some ten minutes or a quarter of an hour during which he seemed to be ruminating deeply he began i've something to tell you lad said he knocking the ashes contemplatively out of his pipe as he spoke but dash my ugly old wig if i'm at all certain that i ought to say anything about it to-night seeing as it can't do much good and might only be upsettin of you for the night but your head's better than mine in matters of this sort and i confess i should like to have your ideas upon the subject before i sleep maybe they'll in a way mark out a course upon which my ideas can travel a good bit of a way betwixt this and morning and even that much will be an advantage gained the fact is that i've seed something as i didn't expect to see whilst i was away up aloft there pointing with the stem of his pipe backwards over his shoulder toward the mountain and the sight has disturbed me a little and set me thinking a good deal indeed said i what have you seen bob you must perforce tell me all about it now for you have excited both my curiosity and my apprehensions not much need for the last boy i hope and believe answered he but it's best perhaps as you should know at once so without any further palaver the albatross the pirate brig is inside the reef and is lying at anchor at this very moment in the bay where you was so near losing the number of your mess the albatross exclaimed i nonsense bob surely you must be mistaken is it not some whaler think you come into water no no said he it's no whaler harry whalers wouldn't come so far within the group as this here island and when did you ever know me mistaken about a vessel as has given us such good reason to remember her as this here brig i knowed her the minute i set eyes on her firstly by a patch in her foresail as you might have noticed the last time we see her nextly by the shape of her main topmast staysail and thirdly and lastly by the whole look of her which enables a seaman to recognize a ship in the same way as one of your longshore folks recognizes an acquaintance in the street when they see him though he may be dressed exactly like a score of other people within hail and what's more i can make a pretty near guess as to what's become of that whaler he went after when he found we wasn't to be had for i see he's got three of the chap's whale boats to replace the two as was expended in our little trifle of a brush no doubt this is important news indeed said i and news that provides matter for very serious reflection what do you suppose has brought him in here bob did you see anything by which you could form an opinion yes replied he i did want of water may be one thing but it's my idea that they've come in here to give their craft an overhaul for they'd no sooner let go their anchor than they outs boats 
and one watch pulls ashore and turns to building huts on the green, whilst the other watch sends down to gallon yards and masts, and unbends the sails and sends them all down on deck. Then they are likely to make a pretty long stay, said I, and in that case we may be discovered at any moment. That they're likely to stay here some time I'll not deny, returned Bob, but I don't feel particular uneasy about being discovered. It's like enough as some of them may take the fancy in their heads to scale this here bit of a mountain, but I've made it my business to give the place a regular overhaul this afternoon, and the thing can't be done from the southward, not without ladders, that is, and good longings at that, and I've found out, too, that though you may get round the other side of the mountain from here, you can't get down to level ground beyond. I never see such a place. It's nothing but precipices, one atop of the other. And there's one place I come to which one man might defend against just as many as ever like to come after him by just standing behind a sort of wall in the cliff and shoving of him over the edge as they tried to get round it. No, no, you make your mind easy on that point, lad. We ain't to be got at except as by water, and I reckon they'll be all too busy to spare a boat's crew to come the length of this, and if they did, it's a thousand chances to one that they'd never find the opening into this here cove. Why, I run past it myself the day as we brought ye in here wounded, and I'd never have found it if I hadn't know just where to look for it. So it's my opinion as we may stay here quiet and comfortable enough, so long as we've a mind to. And then, when we're tired of waiting, we can slip out quietly in the night and nobody be any the wiser. So much for that. Now for an idea that's come into my head and that I can't get rid of no ways. Wouldn't it be a pretty trick to serve these chaps if we was to take the brig and carry her out to sea under their noses, leaving of them here to amuse themselves the best way they could? It would be a pretty trick indeed, I replied, if it were possible. But at this moment I cannot see how it is to be done. The difficulties in the way of its accomplishment are too many for only a couple of men to overcome. Were we half a dozen, or even four, we might perhaps do it, but we could never get her clear out of the reefs by our two selves. Besides, before we could get the canvas on her, they would be alongside of us in their boats, even if the watch, which they will of course leave on board, were overpowered. I don't reckon as they'll keep much of a watch aboard her where she's lying, returned Bob. She's as safe as if she was in harbor, not more than a mile from the beach, and on the lee side of the island. And as to getting her out, you've only to stand the southward under fore and aft canvas, and it's my belief as she'd fetch out clear of the reef from where she's lying in one tack. You recollect as I told you that the reef dipped as it went to the southward? Well, it's my opinion as there'd be water for her over it by the time she was far enough south to make it worth while to think about heaving of her about. That's the road as she came in by. If that is the case, perhaps it might be done, then, if we could contrive to gain possession of their boats first of all, said I. But what is to become of the cutter in the meantime? I have no fancy for leaving her here to fall into their hands, and to speak the truth, now that she has brought us so well thus far, I should like to finish the voyage in her. No, if such a thing were attempted at all, it would be attended with the utmost risk, and could only be successful in the event of our being able to steal on board, and the cutter is not suitable for such service. But I'll tell you what has just occurred to me. There is just a bare possibility of our being able to steal on board in the canoe some dark night, and set fire to the brig, and then come back here, get the cutter under way, and be off at once. But this even can only be done in the event of there being no one left on board at night, and this I consider very unlikely. That's the plan, exclaimed Bob with enthusiasm. Burn the craft afore their eyes, and leave them to get off in their boats if they like. Not so, said I. If this scheme is undertaken at all, I should certainly do it effectually. 
take their boats away and burn the brig, and here they must remain prisoners for a considerable time at least, for this island is quite out of the route of all honest craft, ourselves perhaps excepted. "'Better and better still!' exclaimed Bob, in high glee. "'Now I never should have thought of that, because somehow it seems cruel and unnatural-like to burn such a beauty of a craft as that there brig, but it's the proper plan, Hal, there's no doubt of that.' We too couldn't take care of both the brig and the cutter in anything but the very finest of weather, and it's better to burn the craft, beauty as she is, than then that villains should misuse her to rob and murder honest seamen, and do worse to their wives and darters. Curse em. I shan't forget in a hurry that poor young thing as we see lying dead in the cabin of that American ship, and I'd burn the finest craft as ever was launched afore they should have the chance to commit another such a piece of devilish villainy. Now, Harry, lad, mind me, we do this here little piece of work. You've got hold of the end of the right coil of ideas, and I's a seed your heart set upon it, and I, Robert Trunnion, am the man as'll back ye up in it through thick and thin, and there's my hand upon it. You get well and as strong as fast as you knows how, and I'll go aloft there every day, and keep my eye upon em all day long, and see what is they intends doing. And the first chance we has, mark me, the job's done. Now let's blow the light out and get a good night's sleep upon it." Bob suited the action to the word, and in less than ten minutes I had auricular evidence that, as far as the sleep was concerned, he was carrying his precept most thoroughly into practice. On the following morning, as soon as breakfast was over, Bob and I set off up the ravine, my companion providing himself with our best telescope, a few biscuits, and a flask of weak grog, as it was his intention to remain on the summit of the mountain the entire day watching the motions of the pirates, unless he happened to see anything rendering an earlier return advisable. I did not feel quite so easy in my mind as Bob did with regard to the chances of a boat being detached to examine the island, and in such an event of our cove escaping detection, so I arranged with him that if he observed anything of the kind he was to fly his handkerchief from the branch of an isolated tree which grew on a small projecting platform near the summit and which was quite visible both from the cutter and the ravine, but was hidden by the mountain-top itself from the pirates, and I decided that, if the signal were displayed, I would convey Ella to the spot he had spoken of on the previous evening as capable of being so easily defended, and would then return to the cutter, try the effect of a shell or two upon the boat if she appeared within the cove, and afterwards, if need be, retire to the place of Ella's concealment and make a stand there. In furtherance of this arrangement I got Bob to show me the spot, which I found on personal inspection to be fully as impregnable as he had declared it to be, and I also ascertained, as he had done, that it was quite impossible to get round the mountain by land. We then separated, Bob making the best of his way up the mountainside, and I returning to the shore, loading myself as I went with the finest and choicest fruit I could find. I was met about halfway up the ravine by Ella and we both strolled quietly back to the beach together, my fair companion following my example and loading herself with fruit. When we reached the beach I set about striking the tents, and got the sails, spars, and lighter articles back on board the cutter, as there was now no knowing at what moment it might be necessary for us to be off, and this task, in my then weak condition, occupied me the greater part of the day, getting them on board, that is, and putting the spars in their places, rigging them, and bending the sails. By the time that I had finished, everything was back into its old berth, with the exception of about a couple of canoe-loads of heavy articles, which might be run on board in twenty minutes or half an hour, and then we should be ready to start at a moment's notice. 
I even contrived to take our tube boat to pieces and stow her away below, though the tubes gave me some trouble in getting them inboard. But I managed this at last by parbuckling them up over the side with the aid of the throat halyards. Of course, I kept a strict watch on the tree near the summit all this time, but no signal fluttered from it, so I assumed that they were all too busy on board the brig to make explorations, relying on their numbers for safety in case of an attack, or else that whatever explorations might be afoot were being conducted by land. At length, everything was done that my unaided efforts could effect, and then, taking Ella on shore with me in the canoe, I set out for another walk up the ravine in quest of a little more fruit to complete our sea-stock. I was rather anxious to take as much of this as possible to see with me, for I have always held the belief that the fruit which flourishes best in any particular climate, if partaken of in moderation, is beneficial to the health whilst breathing the air of that climate. Ella expressed her surprise once or twice during the day, both at the somewhat abrupt manner in which our encampment on shore was broken up, and at Bob's sudden predilection for so unsailor-like an amusement as mountain climbing. But I answered her carelessly, anxious not to alarm the dear little girl by acquainting her with the fact that we had unexpectedly acquired such very undesirable neighbors. Near the head of the ravine I was fortunate enough to come upon a banana tree laden with exceptionally fine fruit, and I succeeded in possessing myself of two noble bunches of bananas which had arrived at exactly the right condition for cutting. Each bunch was as heavy as I could well lift, and having got them to the ground without bruising any of the fruit, I cut a strong stake and placed it with a bunch at each end fair in the pathway which I knew Bob would take on his way to the beach, feeling certain he would know why it was placed there, and would bring it down with him. We then returned, cutting a few splendid pines and gathering a little breadfruit and a few figs as we went, and paddled back to the cutter, where Ella and I remained, fully occupied with each other until it was quite dark, when, just as the little fairy was on the point of going below to see to the tea, I heard Bob's hail, and jumping into the canoe I soon joined him on the beach. "'Well, Harry,' said he, as I drew the light canoe up a foot or two on the beach, it seems that you haven't been no ways idle whilst I've been aloft there spying into the enemy's movements. I hardly knowed what to make of it when I first found the tent struck and most everything gone. But I'm glad in one sense that matters is so far forward, though I'm sorry in another, for I'm greatly afeard you've been working hard and have tired yourself, and there's just a chance of our having our hands full of work tonight. I stumbled over these here bananas as I was coming down the ravine and brought them along, as I suppose it was intended I should. Just so, I answered. Now let me hear the result of your day's observations. I have amused myself, as you see, in getting as many of our things as I could back into the cutter, for I felt that in the present condition of affairs it may be imperatively necessary for us to be off at a moment's notice. But I do not feel very much fatigued. I am picking up strength rapidly, and my experience of today has shown me that I am stronger than I really thought I was. There are a few things still lying about here which were rather too heavy for me single-handed, but when these are on board and stowed away, we can be off at any moment. So much the better, returned Bob. Let's get a few of them into the canoe at once, and whilst we're working I can be telling you what I've seen from my perch up aloft there. It won't take very long in the telling. In the first place, two boats has been right to the south end of the island. They went away full of men, and landed all hands, excepting a couple of men in each boat. And while the shore party was regular beat in the woods, the boats paddled slowly back, keeping close in shore to take their shipmates off in case of anything going wrong. At least, that was my idea. Then I soon made out that another party was working their way to the north from their camp, giving this end of the island an overhaul. I see them often, 
crossing the open country between the different clumps of trees, and was able once or twice to hear faintly their shouts to one another. This lot would have made me very uneasy hadn't I given the place such a complete overhaul myself no later than yesterday, for they seemed to be bent on getting up the bit of a mountain and stood off and on this way and that as though they wouldn't be beat. But they had to give it up at last and go back, though I make no matter of doubt as they've pretty well decided to come this way with a boat tomorrow and finish their survey of the island. So much for the shore gang. They're all back in their camp by this time, and if they don't sleep without rocking it, it won't be for want of walking and shouting and hollering. And let me tell you, lad, it's no joke to be fighting your way through this thick bush for hours at a time, as most of them chaps have been doing this blessed hot day. Now, as to the brig, it's my opinion as they means to careen her, just as we've done with our little barky. They've been working like galley slaves aboard there all day, and have stripped her to her lower masts. The sails are all gone ashore, for I saw them lowered over the side into the boats with these same two good-looking eyes of mine, but the spars are still aboard. They've been striking out cargo wholesale, and to my mind in a most lubberly, unseamanlike fashion. If it had been me now, I should have built a raft with all the spars, and rafted the things ashore. But they've done everything with their boats. Maybe, however, it's valuable stuff, and they didn't care to trust it to a raft. It was almost all boxes and bales of all sorts and sizes, the pickings of many a good ship's cargo, I'll warrant. Now I reckon that after the work as this lot has got through today, they'll sleep pretty sound too, so it's my idea that we ain't likely to have a much better chance for playing our little trick upon them than we shall have tonight. They're all as tired as tired can be, you may take your oath upon that, and they'll sleep without any fear of savages, for the reason that they've given the island a pretty thorough overhaul without finding any. And tomorrow it may be too late, for if so be as they comes this way in a boat, it won't do for us to be found here and the chances is that we shall have to cut and run for it, without doing them a farthing's worth of harm after all. The sails all being took ashore knocks my little plan for carrying the brig off clean on the head, even if her spars was aloft to set them on, which they're not. So I suppose we shall have to burn the pretty little craft if we're to do anything at all. Now what say you, lad? Simply that whatever is to be attempted must be attempted tonight, I replied. The reasons for doing so are too obvious to need enumeration. So we will get our few traps on board, have tea, and then snatch what rest we can between this and midnight, when we must be stirring again. I would give a great deal to see this brilliantly starlit sky overcast, but we must take things as we find them, and only use the greater precautions. Now I think we have as much in the canoe as she will safely carry, so let's shove off. We can come back for the remainder after tea. And mind, Bob, not a word of this before Ella. Trust me for that, returned Bob. Let the little dearie turn in and get her night's rest, undisturbed by any anxiety on your account. We can slip off quietly at the right time, without her being a bit the wiser, and it'll be soon enough to talk about this here job when we've done it. We were by this time close alongside, and no more was said. Everything was got out of the canoe and stowed in its proper place, and we then went to tea, getting the remainder of the goods on board and stowing them away immediately that the meal was over, after which Bob stretched himself out in the lockers below and went to sleep, while Stella and I remained on deck until about ten o'clock. I was glad when the dear girl wished me good night and left me, for I could not but feel that, praiseworthy and righteous as was our proposed adventure, it was one which most seriously involved her safety and well-being, closely knit with ours as her fortunes were, and I could not conceal from myself either that we were about to run a tremendous risk, ignorant as we were of what the camp arrangements of the pirates were, and I wished to have time to reflect calmly upon all the risks we ran, and the best possible means of avoiding them before setting out. Everything would depend upon whether a watch were set on board the brig or not. Bob was strongly of opinion that they left her to take care of herself at night, 
but I thought otherwise. End of chapter 17